Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark Welcome to The Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell, and we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you're an OG member of The Spark File community, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful clan of creatives. But you might be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? A Spark File is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know, if you're not careful, your campfire of creativity can flicker out. But hey, Hey, don't despair. We're collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity to light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a creative expression of what's going on inside and a creative approach to sharing tools with the world. Ooh. Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. You know what that means, everybody? That means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. (laughs) So please, we're begging you, if something lights (laughs) you up, (laughs) please, we encourage you to take that thing and make something out of it. Hey, 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 without further ado, let's open up. The Spark Spark. File. Laura Camion. Susie Q. I'm excited. Your spark sounds intriguing. I have got a spark for you today. Is there anything we have to say to each other before I just go on and spark you, Amadeus? I am ready for you to spark me, Amadeus. I really (laughs) am. Spark, spark, spark me, Amadeus. Rock me, Sparkadeus. Okay. Today, we're just going to dive right into it. Today, I just want to say right off the top, I'm going to be talking about all sorts of things relating to mental health, including several types of mental illness, treatment for mental illness, sexual assault, self-harm, and suicide. So I'd like to encourage everyone to take care when listening. But I actually feel like there's so much light in this spark that 
One of my favorite, this is a spark I'll do. This is a whole spark I'll do on a different day. One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Snap Judgment. Mm. And when they do their content warnings, they say things like, this is a story about grown adults. So we're going to be talking about adult things like this, but that's how, that's a story, you know, a story about being a grown adult has those elements. So, and I love that. I always love their content warnings because they're like, we're going to be talking about grown ass things. And life includes all of these things. That's right. Yep. So Laura, I remember... I, if this rang a bell for you, I would be so thankful, but this has been so long ago that I have no expectations. I remember reading an article years ago. It was an interview. I'm going to say it was probably in Premier Magazine mm. because I had a subscription to Premier Magazine. <laughs> I loved that magazine. Did you have a subscription to that? I think so. Say more. Premiere Magazine was a movie magazine. Yes. I was like, it's the movie magazine? Yes, I did too. I loved that magazine. I loved it. So yeah, there was an interview with a famous film actress, a leading lady, and I can't for the life of me remember who it was. But one piece of that profile has stuck with me for years. And in it, the actress made a comment about how she would never go to therapy. Her thinking was that all that unprocessed stuff within her was what she drew from to pour into her acting. And if she went to therapy and brought that stuff up and consciously processed it, she would be robbed of source material that was key to her acting. Suze, this was a common idea at, at a certain time in even in colleges and acting schools. Yes. 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 The fear of like, if I get my quote unquote, get my shit together. If I get healthy, I'll be boring and I won't have any ability to be a creative. If I go to the well, there'll be nothing there for me to draw upon. And what if I've had to cry in a scene? What will I? Yes. So, but I remember even 20 plus years ago thinking when I read that, oh no, sweet person. It just seems so ill-advised and misguided to me. And I'm going to jump my own spark here and say, I believe that an artist can be brilliant and seek mental health. And I also believe that an examined life can contribute greatly to not only one's enjoyment of life, but to one's creative work. Amen. (laughs) And I guess the rest of the spark is just proving that thesis. But there is this very old trope about that brilliant, mad artist, and that to be truly brilliant, yes, you also have to suffer some type of mental illness. Suze, I have in my mind a very clear picture of a, a few college friends near and dear to me who shall remain nameless, but if they are listening, they know it is them. <laughs> you know who you are. That believed like I will cling to this addiction, to this dark side, to the exploration of these things that bring me pain because that suffering is what makes me creative. Yeah. It's an old, old, old idea. I think there's a lot of evidence to support it. Uh, And I'm going to share some of it with you now. So there's a website called 1000museums.com and they confirmed that by far the most famous example of an artist, like a fine artist with mental illness, Mm -hmm. is the Dutch post-impressionist painter Vincent van Gogh Mm -hmm. or Vincent van Gogh. So van Gogh suffered from anxiety and depression throughout his short life. And he once wrote the saddest words ever written. I put my heart and my soul into my work and lost my mind in the process. Mm. So we all know the story. In the fall of 1888, right before Christmas, Van Gogh was painting and working alongside Paul Gauguin in the famous Yellow House at Arles when during a fight that they were having, Vincent cut off his own entire left ear with a knife, wrapped the ear in paper, and then presented it to an employee of a nearby brothel. Laura, it looks pained. I apologize. You know, and I, well, I know I'm fine. It's, you know how I am. Descriptions of things like that. Yes. Yeah. Physical pain. But yes, I'm with you. Tracking. Yeah. So 
they describe it on the website for the Van Gogh Museum. They describe it as one of his spells. Clearly, he was having one of his spells of intense mental illness. So he voluntarily entered an asylum in 1889. The Starry Night, one of his most famous artworks, was inspired by a landscape situated near the asylum. But on a video on the Van Gogh Museum's website, they said, Many people later came to view Vincent's mental illness as the true source of his creativity. However, the only time he actually painted while suffering one of his attacks was a period in the early spring of 1890. His artistic achievement was certainly not a side effect of his illness. It was rooted in the skills of his craft, which he worked hard to develop. Wow. I was watching that video. And I was like, somebody put a lot of thought into yes. sort of debunking this myth. Yes. And deglamorizing. And yeah, yes. it's a recurring theme. When I was researching the spark, it was this recurring theme where when people are really in the grips of mental illness, it's not productive. There are times when people are in mania when there can Mm -hmm. be like these sort of, you know, and you can just Mm -hmm. picture a composer and composing paper flying off the piano as they, you know, fill the page with notes. There's that sort of a thing or a writer at a typewriter and pages are flying. But most of the time, the story that I kept hearing over and over again is when one is in the grips of mental illness, a lot of that artistic and creative self-expression ceases during that yeah. time. So yeah. I, I I really appreciated that on their website. Well done. Well done, Van Gogh Museum. Just sidebar, have you ever been to that? Have you gone to Amsterdam before? I've been to Amsterdam, yeah, but I did not make it to that museum. Oh, yeah. I got to live there for like three weeks. It, it's, what? it's incredible. Yeah, we we opened a show there. God, Laura, your life. Your, oh, you said, when you're like, and then on. I was living in Japan. Your life is beautiful. Thank you. I love you. Uh, that Van Gogh Museum is gorgeous. And you can get very, or at the time when I went, you can get very close to the paintings. And it is amazing oh. to be able to see the brush strokes and know that the brush that was connected to the hand, that was connected to the man. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was yes. so beautiful. It was, uh, yes. I really love that museum. Oh. Which is saying a lot because sometimes museums um, can make me feel very tired, but that one was very <laughs> energizing. But Van Gogh is not alone. There have been so many creatives working across various disciplines and in various areas who have rumbled with mental illness. On the website Breaking the Stigma 2, they listed a few. Georgia O'Keeffe. In 1932, after falling far behind on a Radio City Music Hall mural, O'Keefe suffered an intense nervous breakdown. Really? And it was only after a period of hospitalization and not painting for two years that she was able to rekindle her life's love of creating art. Wow. Yeah, very famously, she was commissioned to do this mural at Radio City Music Hall, and the plaster wasn't drying fast enough for her to be able to apply the paint, and she fell far behind, and she had other extenuating circumstances happening in her personal life, and she, she broke down. And as a result, as I just said, the painting ceased. Um, Paul Gauguin, who was present when Vincent van Gogh harmed himself. Oh, boy. Paul Gauguin, the French artist who at one point attempted suicide, also suffered from severe bouts of debilitating depression. Mm. Mark Rothko suffered long periods of depression earlier in life and amid ailing health, eventually took his own life. (sighs) Edvard Munch, creator of the painting The Scream, is another famous artist who was plagued with mental illness, including anxiety and hallucination. And if you want to know what it feels like to be anxious and depressed, take a look at some of Edvard Munch's paintings. Mm -hmm. There's a painting that he did titled Self-Portrait in Hell. Oh, God. And I was like, he really captures, I'll just speak for myself, having, you know, been anxious and pretty depressed in my life. I was like, he really captures something with those paintings and what it feels like on the inside. I think that's an amazing thing to be able to put into image what something feels like. Yes. Agreed. That's a real 
real skill. Yeah. Michelangelo produced a huge volume of meticulous detailed work, leading some art historians to speculate that he had obsessive compulsive disorder. He also suffered from depression and anxiety, shutting himself away from the world for days at a time to work, forgetting to eat or change his clothes. The earliest biography of Michelangelo by Paolo Giovio, this was written in 1527, described Michelangelo's domestic habits as incredibly squalid. Wow. And in one of his letters to his father, Michelangelo wrote, I lead a miserable existence. I live wearied by stupendous labors and beset by a thousand anxieties. And thus I have lived for some 15 years now and never an hour's happiness have I had. Oh. I mean, those are just a few of the painters. When I began seeking out other creatives who have struggled with mental illness, the list is astounding. You've got actors like Vivian Lee, Adele, singers like Lady Gaga, Nina Simone, oh. Judy Garland, poets like Mary Oliver. As conversations around mental health are destigmatized, we are seeing so many more artists step forward mm -hmm. to discuss their mental health challenges. And there has been a recent spate of creativity where artists are directly centering their mental health in their work. Mm. Before I launch into this, I just want to stress I'm not a therapist. Unless she's something's happened recently and surprised me, Laura Camion is not a therapist. I have been busy. Would you amazing if you just hold up held up a diploma? It's like what? I forgot to tell you. I got my MSW from Columbia. Congratulations, you and Bobby Staggart. So the conversation we're having on this podcast should be it should not be taken as therapeutic or medical advice. Yeah, we're just two opinionated ladies talking about creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there are three pieces, Laura, that have come out recently that center mental health. And the first that I want to talk about is Selena Gomez, Me and My Mind. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Directed by Alec Kashishian. Yep. You may know that name because Alec directed Madonna's Truth or Dare back in Whoa, the day. Oh, are you serious? Remember that film? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So this film... Selena Gomez, Me and My Mind, spans six years of Selena Gomez's life. Six years. That's a big project. That's a big project. That's yeah. inc that's incredible. That shows like real commitment to wanting to share the real stuff. She's not messing around. And I think this is going to be her life's work. Oh, I love it. This, this mental health and philanthropy. God bless her. Yeah. Some around mental health, some around education and some around mental health education. Yeah. I think this is going to be her legacy. That's thrilling because she yeah. has the ability. She's, she has she got the platform. Way. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know a lot about Selena Gomez, but apparently she's a global star. Did you know that or you didn't know that? I don't think I knew the scale of it, Okay, if I'm honest. I yeah. feel like that she hit, well, first of all, she was seven years old when she got her first job on Barney. And then she kind of never stopped working and started, I think, really becoming known with the Wizards of Waverly Place which is completely in a pocket of time in my life when I was completely unaware of that sort of thing. Yeah, same. Didn't watch any of that. Yeah, yeah. but she has this sort of one of these like rolling thunder life careers where she acts, she sings, she dances, she tours, she stars in any EPs, the hit TV show Only Murders in the Building on Hulu for which she was nominated for an Emmy. So she's one of those people that the hits just keep on coming. Yes. In her personal life, Selena Gomez has lupus. She has had kidney transplants due to lupus, just to depict how severe this has been for her. And she ended up in a psychiatric hospital in a psychotic state at one point. So that's to say how severe the mental illness piece has been. And that was after the kidney transplant? I'm going to say I'm doing this from a little bit of memory, but I think so. Yeah. Okay. But this is what her life is like. Her mom found out about her breakdown 
via TMZ. Oh. Think about what? that. That is tough. Whoa. That those paparazzi had a beat on where she was That's before right. her mom did. And what was going on with her. Yeah. And when she was in the psychiatric hospital, that's how Selena Gomez found out that she had bipolar disorder, Mm. which helped her to understand why she had felt so depressed and so anxious for so long. And she tells the story in the documentary about when she was little, little, she was really scared of lightning and thunder. So her mom got her books all about lightning and thunder with the idea that the more she understood what lightning and thunder were and how they occurred, that it would address some of the fear. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a great metaphor that she presented for something as stormy and seemingly mysterious as mental illness. And she says more than once in the documentary that when she understands something, it's easier for her to deal with. It's so true. Isn't there a book called um, The Fear of Flying or or something like that? And it is essentially, um, it explains exactly like all those sounds you hear, what's happening, how this plane flies. And it is an attempt to help people like understand and therefore not make up stories in their head yeah. in regard to what's happening in, in the plane just because they don't understand what it is. Yeah. It is. I love that. I. It's exactly what she's talking about. And you see it happen to her palpably when she's, she starts during the course of the documentary, she starts to experience uh, like wake up in physical pain And you hear her in conversation with her doctor saying, I can't pronounce it, but it's like a rheumatoid medical term. And the minute she has a clear diagnosis and therefore they can start talking about like what a treatment might be, just the palpable relief. Wow. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. Uh, That also, when you know what you're dealing with. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Yes. There's a moment in the documentary where Selena Gomez gives a speech at the McLean Psychiatric Hospital annual dinner in Boston, and she essentially gives this keynote address in front of this ballroom full of people where she comes clean about her mental health. And she says that being honest that night helped. And in the next beat in the film, she reaches out to this songwriting team and says, I think I'm ready to just say that I'm sad. And then they write a song in like 15 minutes. She says it's the fastest song she's ever written. And she continues to collaborate on writing songs using her feelings and her journal entries and her voice and her platform to let people know what's happening inside her. And I thought that was so interesting, like the moment when it was like, I'm ready to be honest with people. I'm ready to give this speech. I'm ready to come clean about this, that then the creativity flows. Yes. I thought that was beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a great observation. It was my perception watching the film that that is a real driver for her, as it is for so many of us, to order one's thoughts and feelings and then share it out in the hopes that people will understand what is going on inside. And by doing so, hopefully helping others understand what's going on inside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And further to that, throughout the film, she talks about this spark. She has this really clear spark and she's simultaneously, I think, excited by it and afraid of it, but it's this spark to create and implement mental health curriculum for U.S. school kids. Wow. That her position is sort of like, we learn about a little bit in kindergarten, like happy, sad, angry. Like we learn a little bit about the foundational building blocks of emotions and then that's it. And her feeling is sort of like, if there could be regular curriculum in the U.S. schools about mental health. Oh my God. That's her jam. And I think it's a great spark. That is life-changing for individual kids. That is world-changing, like for our country. The difference I think that could make for the entire culture, that's huge. Good for her. Yeah. You see her, you see her express in the film how scared she is of it and how she feels like 
she doesn't have what it would take to accomplish that. Mm. But the spoiler alert, the last cards in the film say in 2020, Selena created the Rare Impact Fund to raise $100 million to provide free mental health resources for young people. In May of 2022, Selena and the Rare Impact Fund hosted the first ever Youth Action Forum on Mental Health in coordination with the White House. Wow. Selena met with the president and discussed the creation of a mental health curriculum for the nation's schools. Wow. And I was like, you better Woo. get it, Selena Gomez. Wow. She's impressive. Yeah. How impressive. Yeah. It's really something. And I felt deeply for her in that I'm going rogue here for a moment, just sort of going off spark to say, I had a lot of empathy towards her in this film because she has been working since she was seven and sort of seemingly nonstop Mm -hmm. and just grinding really, really hard. And because she says so, you can tell how fatiguing it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in a position like that, you're surrounded by people whose livelihood uh-huh. is all invested oh in you continuing to like stay. And and I was, I just hope that she continues to take good care of herself and to prioritize rest is the thing that I kept thinking. And then I thought of us and I was like, take your own medicine, Susan. <laughs> so rest. Yes. Um, Another piece that touches on someone's mental health is a new Netflix stand-up special that I loved called Blocks by Neil Brennan. I think that I have talked about Neil Brennan on this podcast before. He did a great Netflix comedy special called Three Mics that I I wish that I had thought of. Um, Neil Brennan was Dave Chappelle's writing partner on Chappelle's show. And the title blocks refers to several things, including the colorful blocks that are on the wall uh-huh. of the set behind him. It's one of the most inventive stand-up sets I've ever seen. And it was designed by Broadway designer Anna Luisas. You know and love her work from In the Heights and Avenue Q. And I was so proud of Anna. No claim to Anna, but so proud of Anna. The set was so inventive And unlike anything I have ever seen before, and I was just, when her name came up at the end, designed by Anna Louise, I screamed. I was so excited for her. That's thrilling. It's really a triumph. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I've just, you've you've never seen anything like it in a stand-up special. It was really, really unique. In his work, Neil pulls off what I perceive as a comic feat. He is wildly funny, and he pulls no punches about the pain that he's in. Talk about writing like your parents are dead. He talks about it. Like he, in both the specials that I just named, he gets into it. He also explicitly documents his treatment to address his mental illness. And did I mention he's wildly funny? Like wow. it is just. That's that's balancing a lot. Yeah, it uh, it's amazing. Holy crap. So Blocks was directed for the stage by the magician Derek Delgadio who you might know his name because Derek Delgadio created In and of Itself. Yep. In and of Itself played off Broadway. And you can also watch that on Hulu. And no spoilers, but I was super excited to see a little bit, a little sprinkling of magic in Neil Brennan's special blocks. Neil Brennan and Derek Delgadio were clearly sparked by something that we talked about on the Chiaroscuro episode of this podcast, I don't want to say more than is necessary, no spoilers, but they were clearly inspired by the art of Kumi Yamashita. And I encourage you to watch that Netflix special mm. blocks and enjoy that. A teaser, a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. I'll watch blocks. Yeah. So blocks, Neil Brennan, Netflix, and our third artist centering mental health is Jonah Hill and Stutz. Stutz is a new documentary that Jonah Hill directed. 
It is a very interesting film. I've never seen anything quite like it. Laura Camion, have you watched Stutz? I've watched some of the trailers and then I knew that you were claiming it as a spark. That's how it works around here. It's We call dibs. I claim that we spark. We call dibs. Dibs on and that. And so you call dibs on it. So I was like, I'm going to wait. So I would be fresh for your spark. Well, I appreciate it, but I'm excited for you also to dig into this. I first heard about this film back in August of 2022 when Jonah Hill released an open letter Mm -hmm. on Deadline.com that read, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So just just sit down. Give it to us. Get yourself a cool, refreshing drink. Here we go. I have finished directing my second film, a documentary about me and my therapist, which explores mental health in general, called Stutz. The whole purpose of making this film is to give therapy and the tools I've learned in therapy to a wide audience for private use through an entertaining film. Sidespark, when I read that, I was I was like, this is going to be interesting. And I tucked it into my spark file. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I was like, you did what, Jonah Hill? So Jonah Hill goes on. Through this journey of self-discovery within the film, I have come to the understanding that I have spent nearly 20 years experiencing anxiety attacks, which are exacerbated by media appearances and public-facing events. I am so grateful that the film will make its world premiere at a prestigious film festival this fall, and I can't wait to share it with the audiences around the world in the hope that it will help those struggling. However, you won't see me out there promoting this film or any of my upcoming films while I take this important step to protect myself. If I made myself sicker by going out there and promoting it, I wouldn't be acting true to myself or to the film. I usually cringe at letters or statements like this, but I understand that I am of the privileged few who can afford to take time off. I won't lose my job while working on my anxiety. With this letter and with Stutz, I'm hoping to make it more normal for people to talk and act on this stuff so they can take steps towards feeling better and so that the people in their lives might understand their issues more clearly. I hope the work will speak for itself, and I'm grateful to my collaborators, my business partners, and to all reading this for your understanding and support, Jonah Hill. Mm, mm, So mm. I remember that letter. I was taken by that last part, just the part of saying like, and I'm going to step off this crazy ride because I need to. And I was just like, damn, that's impressive. Damn. Yeah. I also, Laura, I found that very sparky and very impressive. Identifying the parts of your creative life that you are hell's yes about and the parts that you are hell's no about and seeing if it might actually be possible to separate that out. You see Selena Gomez rumbling with that too. In her film, clearly promotion work is not a source of life force for her. It drains her of life. And she even says at one point, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, that that is the thing. It's actually truly magical when we will like be working with someone and talk through those, those hells yes and those... Ah, question marks and bless and release. And when you come to realize you may have more power than you think in blessing and releasing certain aspects of things that you just, you know, aren't healthy for you. Yeah. And would be better if you did not do them anymore. Uh It's a revolutionary idea. And it's thrilling that he's like leading the way, leading the charge in a lot of this conversation. I feel like Yeah, I hope that it emboldens other people. And I'm not just talking about movie stars or people who, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm talking to you. I think I certainly have clung to this narrative. Sometimes we think it's not possible to separate some of these distinctions apart because it's quotey quotes, just the way things are done. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes if you're creative, you can. You can segment out what parts of sharing your work are enlivening to you and what parts are killing you softly, and then use those distinctions to make choices that work for you. You know what, Laura, you have talked about this in terms of marketing that really speaks to your values, but I think 
I am sparked to share more curriculum on this because it is such a pain point for people creating at all different levels. And I think it's worth exploring more. I was just reading, uh, and I apologize to the person who posted this because I I did not know this person and I don't remember their name, but I was just scrolling on LinkedIn and this woman had posted about how she has a sleep disorder. And in her previous job, she had been told repeatedly that she was unstable and unreliable. And, and this was really, they had zero compassion for, you know, what she was dealing with in her life. And she made some choices, made some changes, and now works for a client who understands like, they won't see her in the mornings. She will work from you know, midday into the evenings. And she's not like she's not working, but suddenly she's like, I'm among people who appreciate the the value that I bring to the table, my skills and talents. And it does not matter what time of day they have compassion for what I need to work around in my life because of something I'm dealing with. And it's remarkable that she felt empowered to make that change. And as we're saying, like so many of us could, it's just, it, might not feel like we can, but we can. Yeah. I think it's a very creative act to examine these things and parse them and get creative about potential solutions and paths. Yeah. It occurs to me just now while I'm saying this, I want to thank Hannah Marie Marcus who resurfaced the spark of Stutz in our blaze thread because I feel like Hannah is the one that reinvigorated this. Hannah did. Yes. And thank you, Hannah Marie. But I think a number of our clients posted about it, which is what caused us to the flurry of, of dibs calling on our part, because we know like when our, (laughs) when our clients say, Ooh, 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 this, this, like we both know, like, Oh, let's look into that. Um, And I, I feel like Lou and I feel like, Carrie. I just feel like it was shared with us. Thanks, you beautiful sparklers. sparklers. Thank you so much. So back to Stutz. While Selena Gomez and Neil Brennan are sharing out what it feels like inside of them and pouring it into their art, and Selena Gomez's case, pouring it into her activism, Jonah Hill is doing something interesting with the documentary Stutz because he's introducing his actual therapist to viewers and providing some very actionable therapeutic tools to anyone who has access to a Netflix account. Can I pause and ask you, how do they handle, you know how we always say we're not therapists, um, and that is because we wouldn't want someone to take anything we say as any kind of clinical advice or medical advice. Yeah. Um, How do they handle that in the film where it's like this, what I'm saying to Jonah Hill may or may not relate to you viewer because I have not diagnosed you. I don't remember any sort of disclaimers. They could be there. And I just, maybe I looked Uh down, I'm not sure, but it was almost like a book where you know how in a book, and Phil Stutz has written, co-written a, a book called The Tools that is another great resource for folks who are so inclined. But it's sort of like, here is a set of tools. Mm. If you care to engage in them, you can. Mm-hmm. I have, in preparing for this, listened to extensive interviews with Phil Stutz, who is centered in this documentary. And he makes it very clear that Ideally, you could work on this with a therapist, Mm -hmm. but for people who would not have access to this otherwise, got it. Yeah, I think it was a way for Jonah Hill to say, I am a movie star who has a big budget for mental health care. Yeah, and for people who don't, I just for people who are suffering, I just want to get these therapeutic tools out to folks. Let me give this to you. And I, and it sounds like those tools are no harm done. Like no matter what the diagnosis, if you feel like this tool might be good for you and you implement it, it's safe. It's essentially safe. Yeah. I think so. I mean, they're, they're, they're so, it's all about like, um, you know, visualizations and picturing a, a loving connection with another being. So they feel sort of safe. I don't think anything is a panacea. And for someone who is really struggling with 
debilitating mental illness in various forms, obviously a Netflix special isn't going to be enough. But I can imagine watching it, I was like, oh, if you simply decided to be like, okay, I'm on my couch, I'm going to shut my eyes, I'm going to follow along with Jonah Hill and Phil Stutz, or you return to it when you needed it. It could open some doors for you. Like you said, giving you a little bit of access to something can demystify it. It can let you know if like, oh, this feels good. This this might be something I want to prioritize above something else that I do. Yeah. Also, fun fact they use Errol Morris's Interatron, which yes. I talked about on the full Sampaku yes. Spark. Amazing. On this very podcast, there's a lot of, it looks like you're sitting across the way it's filmed. It looks like you're sitting directly across looking into the oh. eyes of Phil Stutz or Jonah Hill. Wow. Nathan and I were watching it and I was like, that's an Interatron. And at the end, they were like Interatron operators in the credits. And I was like, woo-woo, Spark file forever. How many Interatrons, like, do you think they're hard to come by, Interatrons? I don't. I feel like to rent a real Interatron with an operator, I remember when I did that spark, it was something like, was it $2,000 a day or something like that? Oh, okay. Yeah. But also on that, if I'm remembering correctly, on that episode, I found how you can make your own Interatron with iPads (laughs) and video cameras. Wow. You know, I watched all of these things that I just talked about. And I thought, what a different time we live in. What if people like Nina Simone and Judy Garland had access to the information and therapeutic support that they needed? Mm -hmm. What if they could have consciously put their mental health into their work? And not only that, received informed support What if, what if, what if? Well, I can hear, you know, some people would say, oh, then they probably wouldn't have had the careers. They probably would have gotten healthy and stepped away. Like I disagree. I I do too. I'm just saying back to your original idea is like, there are those people that would say that, but yeah, that trope. We disagree. We disagree. We disagree. So a few, what do we make of it? Uh, If you're anything like these three creatives, You are collaborating with people to share your experience with mental health and potential solutions with the world. And on that point, I have to say, the thing that I loved about each of these pieces is that their voices are going to connect with different people. So I can imagine like Selena Gomez's documentary is very Alec. Kashishi and Selena Gomez. Like it has a very specific flavor to it and it's presented in a very specific way. And Jonah Hill's documentary, Stutz, is very Jonah Hill. And that's going to reach those fans and those viewers. Yeah, different people. And those people who have Netflix subscriptions. <laughs> and and Neil Brennan's is going to reach other folks. Neil Brennan's, did I mention how honest his is? I was By the end of that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so honest. And I just love that between just those three, and they're not the only artists doing this work, but they're the ones I'm featuring in this spark, the nets that they are casting are reaching people. And I thought that was really, really exciting. Yeah. What what else do we make of it? We often say, if you have to live through something, you might as well make something out of it. If you have to live yes. through something, you get to choose. You might want to make something out of it. And to balance that, we also ascribe to the Glennon Doyle concept of creating from a scar, not an open wound. All three mm-hmm. of these creatives that we've focused on today have put a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. into addressing their mental health before putting it into their art and sharing it with the world. Boy, does that make a difference. I mean, you really can feel when someone is sharing from an open wound versus sharing from a scar. You sure can. It's so, so evident. Yeah. It's the difference between, you know, watching someone essentially like have some kind of break or meltdown. And as you're listening, you're worried for them. Yeah. Versus realizing, oh, this is a person who has had a break of some kind and had an experience that they want to share with us so that we might all learn from it. Yeah. Mm. I, I, to your earlier point, I think 
Judy Garland had gotten the informed support. Maybe she would have been around a lot longer, healthy for a lot longer. And yeah, you know, as they say in Sunday in the park with George, given us more to see what work might we have seen from these wonderful artists had they gotten healthy and stuck around. Absolutely. I want to say what I said at the beginning, and I think I speak for Laura Camion too. We deeply believe that an examined life can contribute greatly, not only to one's enjoyment of life, mm. but to one's creative work. So this is a poem that I first heard at a funeral for a friend, an artist who had taken their own life after a long struggle with mental illness. And this poem grapples with themes of life and suffering and the relationship between creativity and mental health. It was written by Mary Oliver. And on the website, youhaverhill.org, I learned that Mary Oliver was institutionalized for a time and she was moved by the pain of a number of artists who died young or took their own lives. In this poem, she writes about them. And Mary Oliver dedicated her book, American Primitive, that won the Pulitzer, to James Wright, whose poetry, though dark, gave her joy and a lifeline in her own dark times. So this is the writing of Mary Oliver after she had done the hard work. She had done mm. time in the institution to work on her mental health. And it's called Members of the Tribe by Mary Oliver. Ahead of me, they were lighting their fires in the dark forests of death. Should I name them? Their names make a long branch of sound. You know them. I know death is the fascinating snake under the leaves sliding and sliding. I know the heart loves him too, can't turn away, can't break the spell. Everything wants to enter the slow thickness, aches to be peaceful finally and at any cost, wants to be stone. That time I wanted to die, somebody was playing piano in the room with me. It was Mozart. It was Beethoven. It was Bruckner. In the kitchen, a man with one ear was painting a flower. Later in the asylum, I began to pick through the red rivers of confusion. I began to take apart the deep stitches of nightmares. That was good human work. This had nothing to do with laying down a path of words that could throttle or soften the human heart. Meanwhile, Yates, in love and anger, stood beside his fallen friends. Whitman kept falling through the sleeve of ego. In the backfields, beyond the locked windows, a young man who couldn't live long and knew it was listening to a plain brown bird that kept singing in the deep leaves, that kept urging from him some wild and careful words. You know that important and eloquent defense of sanity. I forgive them their unhappiness. I forgive them for walking out of this world. But I don't forgive them for turning their faces away, for taking off their veils and dancing for death, for hurtling toward oblivion on the sharp blades of their exquisite poem saying, this is the way. I was, of course, all that time coming along behind them and listening for advice. And the man who merely washed Michelangelo's brushes, kneeling on the damp bricks, staring every day at the colors pouring out of them, lived to be a hundred years old. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Mary Oliver. Always comes back to Mary, doesn't it? It always comes back to Mary Oliver. Wow. That was beautiful. If you are in the United States and you need immediate mental health support, you know you can call or text 988 and you will be connected to a trained counselor. Mm -hmm. 988 if you need it. Cams, that's my spark. Suze, this was so sparkish. You warned us about the potential darkness of the topic and you ultimately were so right. It's 
light and full of hope and full of progress and full of generosity and transparency of these artists who are determined to share their knowledge, share their experience, and help pave a smoother path for those who come next. Yeah. In this life, there will be suffering and there will be pain, but we do not have to be excruciated by mental illness. There's so much support Mm -mm. available and we don't have to subscribe to this trope that you have to be in the clutches of mental illness and, and tortured by it to be a wonderful, self-expressed creative artist. So amen. Let's let's retire that one. Mm-hmm. Let's retire that one. All right. Oh, so Sue, it shall so be done. Good. Thank you for this. You're sweet, baby Cams. I think that's it. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people. And as always, we really do hope it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen. If there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. And you know what? We will happily take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you have to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast if you're so moved. It really does help other listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, we hope that you'll share it with people that you care about. And if you didn't like it, you can process it with your analyst. Oh, nice, Suze. I like that tie-in. Take it up with them. If something lights you up and gets your creative sparks flying, you know that we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and make it, Make it. Make it. Jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire. Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality, energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.